in the words of Omowali Malcolm X, to educate a man is to educate an individual. To educate a woman is to educate and liberate a nation. In celebration of International Women's Day, African Queens, a 10-part series honoring our ancestors through their shared stories, empowering and educating through history. We celebrate the lives of these powerful sheroes, including Nani of the Maroons, Kandaki, Mbuyo Nahanda, Ya Esantiwa, Queen Nandi, Empress Menen, and many more. African Queens. This is African Queens, a series that aims to share the often unheard stories of our ancestors through the lens of our modern-day sheroes. Welcome to African Queens. Educating, empowering and inspiring. Hi, my name is Yomas, Yomas Smith. I am primarily a marketing communications person, but I have recently been developing my practice in performance on themes relating to heritage diversity. Welcome to African Queens, which is a series celebrating and sharing black history. But it isn't black history, is it? It's our history. And there's so little known about these incredible women. And the reason why I did this series, I was actually inspired by a photographic exhibition, which people will have heard about already. But for the sake of those who are listening to this as a one-off episode, Rosanna Africa is an incredible organisation. It's a three-year community project, which is honouring our ancestors through sharing their stories. I'm really excited and keen to find out is what queens that you found out about and what did you learn about them? We had about 12 queens to choose from and each person chose a queen. So I represented Queen Amina of Zaria, which is present-day Nigeria, northern part of Nigeria. Queen Amina, the warrior queen. And then there is Queen Nziga, Ya Asentewa, Queen Ndate. So we're talking from, oh, from the Wolof, from Ghana, from Nigeria, from Madagascar, from all over Africa. Everyone chose a queen. And they were all from, from the north to the south, to the from the east to the west of Africa. And I represented Queen Amina. What I would love to know is why you chose Queen Amina. Yeah, so that's a good question because I gave it some thought and I wanted to actually move away from a queen that I was vaguely familiar with. I wanted to go with a queen that I had absolutely no idea of beforehand because that would really push me to research the queen and really not assume anything. But as I started to read and I kind of thought, oh, oh, okay, right. So I was actually torn between Queen Amina and Princess Salma of Zanzibar. And then just for some reason, I just kind of was like, pick a queen, pick a queen, Yuma, pick a queen. So I chose Queen Amina. And, and the reason why I didn't want to choose her in the first place, by the way, is because I'm of Nigerian heritage and she is of present day Nigeria, the North. So I kind of wanted to move away from Nigeria, but I ended up choosing Nigerian. But in the, I had a word with myself and she was from the North. Of all of Nigeria, I'm least familiar with the history of the North. And I have to say, initially, I kind of felt she's a bit of a terrorist. She's a warrior queen. So with the other queens, because we did read about the other queens, and a lot of them were fighting invaders, colonization, they were protecting their kingdoms. They had something that really made them rise up to the challenge. 
Now, Queen Amina was a queen by heritage. She was the daughter of a king. And one thing that we discovered, people don't know this, in ancient times, women actually had as much of a chance to rule their kingdoms and lead their people as men. Men might have always have been the first default, but it was never sort of like a sort of, oh, women can't lead us. That wasn't the culture then. She was in the line to do that. But I kind of thought, so for what was pushing her? Why was she such a tremendous warrior queen? What was she just raging war just for the sake of it? But in actual fact, there was a reason. She wasn't just a complete nutter terrorist. She was protecting her people. That was my mission when I became queen. I needed to wake my people up from their slumber because the sated beast that takes an extended break will soon find itself the meal for another animal. I mean, I was protecting her kingdom from neighboring kingdoms. They had peace and prosperity and wealth, but neighboring kingdoms were kind of like eyeing up their land. So if they didn't rise up, they would have been annihilated. So she rose up and I thought, okay, good. I feel okay now. She wasn't just bloodthirsty. And she was quite interesting. And she was born around 1533, I think. Is that right? Yes, yeah. I was born into royalty and schooled in the art of battle. Age six, my grandfather taught me how to hold a spear. Age 10, I was given my own spear. Again, another little known fact about a lot of African kingdoms is the education that especially royal family, children royal families received. They were groomed to take control. So she was groomed to handle herself and groomed in strategy and by her grandfather. And then when her father passed on, her brother actually took to the throne, even though he was younger than her. And then he passed on and she stepped up. Why was she successful? Well, She'd always had that passion to protect her people. She'd always seen that times of her father, which where it was all peaceful, and the times of her brother was also peaceful, but she could see that the neighboring people who were particularly gaining strength and dominion over the region. And so she had to just sort of step up and protect her people. And I guess she, she was just good at it. She led her battle. She didn't just she didn't issue strategy from the palace. She led her men and women, I suppose, to war. Where they were situated, it's like at the crossroads of three major trade corridors. So that's why I think they were always getting so much attention from neighboring countries. They were in a very yeah. powerful position. Yeah, so where Zaza, which is what it was called then before it was changed to Zaria, where Zaza was situated is just a prime spot. So you had the routes from the north, sort of the desert north, into the, the depths of the south. So prime spot for trade to happen in terms of goods from the north and goods from the more rich in terms of landscape, but diversity down south. And then across as well. So they were really on a crossroads, trade from the east to the west. So yeah, it was a prime position. And she led her people and just constantly was winning battle after battle for 37 years. And I guess she just got better and better at it and constantly crept on with it. And with each territory that she conquered as well, she had walls built around. So again, in terms of history, a lot of people have heard of the Great Wall of China and what have you, or here in the UK, people might have heard of Hadrian's Wall. Amina's walls are also still very visible in modern day Nigeria. Yeah, many of them still exist today. And the expansion of Amina's kingdom is just phenomenal. She's, you know, really renowned for the sort of unheard of wealth 
that she brought to the land. I think one description cites a tribute of payment of 40 eunuchs and 10,000 cola nuts. She boosted her kingdom's wealth and power with gold, slaves and new crops. And also what you mentioned there about the recognition or the equality or even the nods to perhaps a more matriarchal society. Did you find that was slightly more the case? I did. There was often, if not always, the default to men. From the history that I know of and what I've read recently, you know, I'm not aware of any story of any woman who was denied authority or position merely because she was a woman in that sense. I also benefit from knowing that from Nigeria. There are parts of Nigeria that do still have a matriarchal culture. Overall, though, it is very much patriarchal. Apparently, I don't know if this is right, she refused to marry. Yeah, she didn't marry, but there's an interesting aspect of her that I... The work we did was to create some sort of narrative around our queens, and there's an aspect of her story that I kind of thought, should I include that, or is it a bit just salacious? I did, but I felt I included in a subtle way in that she didn't marry, but I guess as a human being, she had lovers and she was a bit of a black widow. She had her lovers killed, so say beheaded, which sounds even more uh, dramatic. I reserved my victory dance to my private quarters. And at times I might invite a captive from one of my territories to join me, but it could never be repeated. Mm -mm. No foe could live to tell of my moves. Mm -mm. There's one thing I heard, and again, you don't know how true it is. Her exploits earned her the moniker Amina, daughter of Nikatu, a woman yes. as capable as a man. And her legendary escapades are the model for the television series Xena, Warrior Princess. She was Xena, a mighty princess forged in the heat of battle. Yes, I find that often enough to believe that it is true. Her courage will change the world. Can I just ask you why you think it's so important that we do share this kind of history? Oh, gosh, there's so many reasons. I think one, certainly for girls and women, who in this current day and age where, you know, we're obviously fighting for gender equality for quite a long time, women's rights, position, et cetera, have been oppressed and whilst we've had many women through the years fighting for what's right and fair, I think it's it's never too much, if you like, to remind ourselves of our abilities, our skills, our position and opportunity and possibility to thrive and rise and conquer in any and every sense of the word. So I think it's important in that sense to remind women that we don't need to just sort of settle down and settle for something that's less than perhaps that they were entitled to or perhaps that we want to have, there's that one. The number two from an African perspective is to start to bring back the stories of the greatness of Africa and Africans. Our history has been, again, suppressed. And I think historically, with the African customs that we had in place where stories were always passed down, they were forgotten in that way, but there was a massive interruption in customs and practices and a different educational system imposed. And so a lot of that history has been forgotten. So it's important to just, to, before it's completely and utterly forgotten, to dig this stuff back out and say, hey, there is this great history to bring back to the fore. And in that history, some traditions and customs, some awareness that inform us today 
and and can shape who we are. So this year has been, you know, International Women's Day's theme this year has been choose to challenge and challenging like patriarchy is, is, <laughs> is right up there. What better way than to remind ourselves of the greatness of women and certainly in Africa with the current movement triggered off by last year's events of the black story, black power. Did you learn anything about any other queens? I did. The queen, who was actually a princess, Salma of Zanzibar. Now, she intrigued me because she was a princess, but she was sort of the youngest of about maybe 30-odd children. And also her mother was a concubine. So you kind of imagine what was her status in that royal palace. And she actually escaped. She left Zanzibar. And then she fled to Germany and she married a German. And there's not much is known but how did she fare in Germany? I don't know. And I'd love to actually revisit her story. And Queen Ndate, Ndate Yala of the Wolof, fought colonizers, the French. There's something really regal about her. She smoked a pipe. And legend has it that the pipe had all sorts of herbs in it that also served to overwhelm her opponents. So that was quite interesting. But she died at the tender age, I say tender, of 50. Some of these women did so much in a relatively short space of time. Queen Amina, who I represented, died at the age of 70. So many of these women had to fight against colonization. And then what I found fascinating is how people are kind of demonizing their spirituality. And what made me think of that when you said about the woman with the pipe and the herbs and how scared were these missionaries of the spirituality and, and they really demonized it, yes, didn't they? they did. That was part and parcel of it. When you think about it now, it's an established tactic. If you're going to try and oppress a people, one way that you go about it is to demonize, take away from the established practices and customs and say, look, here's a better option. Here's a, here's a more civilized option. Here's a more progressive option. Here's a more, here's the right way. A lot of that has been recovered, if you like, that, that narrative to claim back position and authority and significance of customs, of histories, of practices. Being part of this program has certainly been a brilliant experience. It's been an all-round holistic experience in terms of history, reacquainting myself with history and also informing myself with history that I wasn't aware of. And then the beauty of it was representing it in a current and creative manner. And also working with eight other women, we all got to interpret our queens in our own different ways. So seeing other people's working practices as well and how they told a story that really brought their queen's history to the current day time. So in that sense, it was a great project in every sense, a masterclass of lessons, a variety of expressions through movement, sound, words, and then of course the history and the purpose of it. And I encourage anyone and everyone to go and check out history that is other than what is the current curriculum. African Queens is produced by Sound Women Southwest Network in collaboration with Rizana Africa.